Hello. Things are a bit different round here now. We hope you like our luxury weekend look. Welcome to the first edition of The Culture Bunker, our brand new weekend pop culture edition. Think of it as the glossy weekend magazine to the Bunker's daily papers. I'm Andrew Harrison. And I'm Sean Pattenden, new to The Bunker. Hello, everyone. In this first edition, we've got special guest Sarah Cracknell of Great British Pop Institution St Etienne. She's talking about their new album, I've Been Trying to Tell You, and how you make pop LP when you're scattered across the country. Plus, we'll be looking at brand new Manhattan murder mystery series only murders in the building starring Steve Martin Selena Gomez and Martin Short showing now on Disney Plus Star Channel and we'll be listening to new albums from Amel and the Sniffers the big galahs of grubby Antipodean punk and art school girlfriend the dreamy shoegazing sound of Wrexham all that and more on today's Culture Bunker Nothing can stop us now. Bunker listeners, welcome to the podcast. Big Mouth was running for five years with me, Andrew, and a selection of guests, and we're delighted to find our new home at the Bunker. It'll be just like Whizzer and Chips. Faithful Big Mouth listeners, we hope you like the new place. Don't let them steal your dinner money. Andrew, can you tell us a little bit more about our incredibly laid-back theme tune? Regular Bunker listeners will know that tune and that Mm. melody, but it's a completely new Junto's mix by Kenny Dickinson, who made the original, and we've gone for a Yacht Rock, Pikes, (laughs) 1986, Cocktails by the Pool vibe, because, frankly, autumn in Britain, that's what you need. We have a special guest with us we may have mentioned earlier in the show. We certainly do. She's the singer with long-established creators (laughs) of Couture Dance Pop St Etienne. She's made sun-soaked vocals and soft harmonies her own. From Nothing Can Stop Us Now to He's On The Phone, right up to Home Counties, their brilliant homage to Middle England from a few years ago. She's helped to forge the band's distinctive sound. And today, this very day, sees the release of their new 10th album, I've Been Trying To Tell You. The Culture Bunker is honoured to welcome Sarah Cracknell. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hello, hello. If only the listeners could see, she's actually wearing sunglasses in the the Zoom window (laughs) there. Um, Thank you for joining us. How are you and where are you? Uh, I'm in Oxfordshire, is where I live, um, and I'm fine, actually. I'm really... Yeah, very excited about... It's funny, I, I didn't wake up this morning thinking, ooh, our album's coming out today, but I keep getting messages from people, even one of my teenage sons going, congratulations, Mum, on your album. You know, it's like, that's not his voice, that's my voice. But, uh, <laughs> is, is it like A-level day for pop stars? Do you run out and jump in the air for a photograph? Yeah, exactly that. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it is an exciting day. It's great album release day has changed for the years you've been doing hasn't it i mean at one point it would be like everybody needs to be in the hmv on oxford street signing posters and that's everybody needs to be in the cybersphere yeah exactly i mean there are a lot of people sort of talking on instagram stuff going that they can't wait for the postman to come and i like that <laughs> as it should be isn't it you know or i used to reserve records and uh, in a shop in windsor called revolution records <laughs> and i'd go and pick them up on the monday morning you know all excited yeah is it in yet or tricky shouldn't it Let's yeah see. has it turned up yet so we're going to talk about the album in a short while but firstly i mean you, you everybody in the band is in different parts of the country now you're up you're in oxford as you just said pete wiggs is in hove actually <laughs> bob stanley is in bradford how did you go about making this record when you are geographically distributed did you do it all on zoom like we have to do everything these days it was a bit like that, yeah. Um, we used to share ideas. I mean, we'd talk on Zoom about the kind of feeling of the, the record, what we wanted it to say, and blah, 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 and our kind of very complicated concept, if you like to call it that. But with the ideas, what would happen was that Pete would send me a bit of music and I'd come up with some bits of melodies and a few words. There's not many words on the record. Um and we'd just share ideas, you know, and then come to edit them. So it was it was kind of made, you know, on, on a computer. In the manner of the ancient art method exquisite corpse, where one person does a bit and passes it on to somebody else, and they fiddle with it, and it gets passed around. Your uh, complicated concept that you just mentioned, that this it's an album about memory and optimism, that, that the time between 1997 and 2001, the Labour Party just won an election victory. It's a, this kind of little, little island of... of uh, <laughs> Things might not be dreadful. <laughs> what generated that sort of nostalgic feeling? Was it being separated from the rest of the band and having to do it through a little window like this? I, th- I think there is an element of that. And it, I, it's about thinking a, a time you remember that was optimistic, fun, seemed like a great thing was happening. And it's about how the, your memory gets skewed over time. And I think we'll probably look back on the last 18 months, two years with that same kind of feeling you know there's some bits of being locked down like that I really loved you know like the very first bit obviously I think everyone kind of <laughs> liked the first bit yeah <laughs> um 
and did a lot of making bread and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. and hanging out with the teens and watching box sets and stuff and that. But yeah, you know, I'll probably just remember those bits in, in a few years time and not all the, the cruddy bits, but um, yeah, it's about memory and how it gets uh, mixed up in your mind, basically. Well, we're going to have a listen and a bit of a chat about it more in a, in a minute. But who else is joining us today, Sean? Funny you should mention, John Mullen is a TV producer and director who's made everything from The Art of Russia and The Battle of Stonehenge to Kenneth Williams in his own words and Tony Visconti's Unsigned Heroes. He's very much our sort of culture bunker chap. He's also a veteran of Select magazine, which long-time listeners will know... It's where Andrew and I first met. Oh, sorry, started working together. Hello, John. <laughs> Welcome to the Culture Bunker. Good afternoon. It's lovely to be here and lovely to hear about St Etienne. As an arts TV guy, why does TV find it so hard to talk about pop culture like the way we do on this show? There's endless news, sports discussion programmes, but the poor old culture show petered out in, what, 2015? It did. And it's the perennial question, actually. And if you could solve it, you'd be a rich man <laughs> that, in fact... People go to galleries in their droves. The National Mm. Trust is the Mm. biggest organisation in the country. But it doesn't necessarily translate into TV ratings and people wanting to sit down and watch things. I mean, what's it's? I I was going to talk about it a little bit later, but I was watching the Bob Ross documentary Mm. on Netflix. And I think that's, you know, if we had a kind of generation of those sort of presenters, you know, we have great presenters doing it, but there's some kind of alchemy that's needed to get people to watch it. And then what happens is that commissioners go, oh, well, we spent this much money on this programme and this many mm-hmm. people have watched it. And and that's that's sort of what happens. So that's a kind of, it's a kind of, um, there's the two bits as well that you have, you know, you go for populist programmes and then the Telegraph rip your face off and then you go oh. for like more highbrow programmes mm. and the Telegraph don't write about it and nobody else watches <laughs> it. So it's a kind of, that's the kind of question that I've been thinking about for the last 25 years. Oh, yeah. I don't have an answer for. Right. Does it get compartmentalised though? So Jules Holland is going to do the music, and he's the only one allowed to do that sort of music. Well, there's a kind of but they have budgets basically, and they have they say, well, that's our live budget. Mm. And so I, I was just listening to a podcast, another podcast about the sort of the decline of top of the pops, and so things. What happens at the, especially at the moment where things are so fragmented, and you know people don't are there isn't the kind of shared communal listening experiences. It's hard to sort of translate that into into television programmes. I mean, Mm. there's really, really weird anomalies. So, for example, BBC Two did a documentary about One Direction that nobody watched. And Channel 4 did one three months later that got millions of viewers. And people are like in the BBC Music going, what did we do wrong? Because you don't associate BBC with One Direction. Put it on BBC Two. No, no, but but that's really, there are really odd things about viewerships and things like that. But, I mean, I have worked on things that have had big ratings, but they're kind of, it was very unexpected. The biggest thing I worked on was Dan Crookshank Around the World in 80 Treasures. And that got like nearly 4 million viewers. And that, for us, felt quite niche. It's like Dan going to like, bits of Syria to yeah. look at as a stone that's like he thinks is very important and we thought it was worthwhile and great and that did great business Before we talk more about St Etienne and the allure of the late 90s a reminder to new listeners and long time followers of the old Big Mouth show alike sign up to support The Bunker on Patreon and you'll get all of our shows a day early without adverts plus smart merchandise too and extras like our star guests choosing their favourite records of all time That's The Culture Bunker at the weekend our weekly politics panel show on Mondays for Patreon backers, and shorter Bunker Dailies on everything from edible insects to the joy of fonts. <laughs> Big Mouth Emigres, you will enjoy the interviews with police manager Miles Copeland and also former Home Secretary Alan Johnson, who made us a mod playlist, which was quite <laughs> nice of him, I thought. Search Patreon Bunker Podcasts to find out more. Now let's go back, back, back to the late 90s as excavated by Bob, Pete and Sarah. What will we find there? Here's St Etienne with Penlop. Sarah, the Etienne are very much known for like classic style pop songs drawn on everything from girl groups to indie pop. Home Counties, the last album, was very big pop. This is extremely different. It's very vibe heavy. Not so much verse chorus, as you say, not an awful lot of words in there. It's almost a Mowax record and your voice is almost treated <laughs> as a sample. You told us a little bit how it, how it came that way. Did, did you know what you were going to do when you started doing it? Or did it take shape as you were flinging these files at each other? It did take shape as we were flinging files between each other. 
I didn't want the vocal parts to be to have any ego or anything or to have any you know lyrical journey I wanted the music to be the journey if you know what I mean and especially because we knew Alistair was going to work on it uh, tell us who Alistair is for the listeners who don't know okay so Alistair McClellan is a, a lovely lovely man um who's a fashion photographer he was a fan of ours when he was a teenager and stuff and, and when he was at college and he wanted to make a film to go with some of our music. And um, we first of all played him some songs for an album that we had been working on. And then because of, you know, the, the situation and we couldn't be in a studio together, we started working on this album and he made a film to go with it, so, which is really exciting and we're very honoured. Um, but yeah, I wanted I wanted the the vocals to just be part of the music and not, not like song structure, you know. Did you have to give up a bit of ego there? Because there's not going to be like <laughs> cracknell spotlight moment banging out who do yeah, you think you are when this one is turned? I haven't got an ego. It's just not like I'm not not really like that. Um, I just wanted it to sound great, and I just I felt that specific kind of sentences and stuff like that would would take away from the sound of it. And that. I remember you guys saying that the most annoying thing people used to say to you was, we really like your remixes. And you'd go, what, you mean when people took our records and <laughs> made them better, fiddled with them? But this is actually, you've done your own remixes. You've kind of dismantled yourself. It feels like a late 90s dub of you. Was that something that you wanted to do or did it happen kind of by accident? Uh, a bit of both, probably. I mean, I've always, personally, I've always said, I don't know who you're quoting. It wasn't me. I've always said I love remixes. Oh, right. Might have been Pete or Bob moaning. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I love the idea of someone taking something and making something new out of it. It's like recycling, you know. And that's, I feel, what we've done with this record. So we've taken some songs, uh, records from from the late 90s and made something completely new out of them. It is interesting, though, that like there are particular tracks. I think there's Natalie and Brulia in there or something. There's a, Nath- mm, a bit of yeah. Natalie and Brulia. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the music of the time sort of absorbs the political meaning and the feeling of the time. So you get this kind of like a cubist take on the, <laughs> the early years of Tony Blair, his early cooler years. That period, you said that you think we're going to look back more fondly over the past year of lockdown. Do you think that time, sort of 1997 to, to 2001, it's quite an unloved period, isn't it? It's not really thought yeah. about very much. What did you, what did you no. want to say about it or dig out about it? I think it, it was just we wanted to uh, look at how optimistic we were. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you were, but I was kind of, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, we've had 18 years of the Tories and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that'll never happen again. Hooray. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think it was looking back at that and how isn't exactly as we thought it was going to be you know from that point onwards it's about optimism and stuff and it's about because of that it's about youth you know i mean i wasn't that young but i was youngish younger than <laughs> i am now and um well, and well, i was all, optimistic yes. you know yeah <laughs> i was optimistic and and so that's why i think sorry to keep going about alistair's film but i i feel very much that the the record and, and the film work so well together because the film is very much about that kind of youthful optimism and lazy days doing fun stuff when you're bored when you're young yeah i think i was optimistic for a while and then it doesn't quite pan out how you imagine john you quite enjoyed this rocket didn't you what did you think i adored it yeah i i, I mean i it's such a you know such a pleasure to hear a record which completely i was basically getting a train to somerset i was listening to it in the perfect bucolic surroundings <laughs> and it was funny reading about the concept like the late 90s thing because one of the things i was writing about select was sort of like sea feel and mogwai and sort yeah. of deconstructing music and that for me like listening to broad river that sounds very much like it kind of has that kind of pace that those early mogwai eps had where it's sort of all just very beautiful but there's sort of on something unsettling going on and i love the fact read with the say etienne record you have to read the notes and read around it like i love the fact that the bird song which you know it's sounds really beautiful is from the big brother house right? <laughs> when, they, when they turned well you know when they used to turn off yeah, the yeah, sound yeah. that's where it, so that's it so it's, there's a whole little my brain's pinging with notes mm. you know and then the fact because I'm, I'm i've been a fan since fox Base alpha and that's how i got into john savage through say etia yeah. and now you've got notes by like owen hatherley who i love as well so so for me i just think i just think it's a record that i've, I've been listening to non-stop for five days but i need to keep revisiting and hearing things and what and what you're doing with your with the voice as well it's all mm. part of the texture of the record so it's sort of it's it's very you know it's just 
surprising and beautiful and you know I sound like I'm just saying this because you're here but it's not I just have been sort of <laughs> raving about it yeah. so. she's, she smiles she's in Oxford you can say it's rubbish if you like if you like she can't get you you do get quite a lot of value for money from the Etern don't you you get sleeve notes pictures double packs and all the rest yeah, of it and, and the I'll, film with the new I've got one. to go and see the film as well so it's, it was on at the BFI but I'll, you know it's out now isn't it so I can go and buy the DVD so yeah so I'm really looking forward to seeing that as well Sean what did you think Jennifer? oh I've been hammering it I absolutely love it you know that thing of you when just before you put something on you think I just really hope it's good yeah. and you don't know that's that amazing minute where you just don't know until you and I'd heard the single and it's actually perfect for everything um, John's saying that he's listening to it in bucolic countryside I was just walking down a London street and it started raining like, on Wednesday mm. really loud in the earphones and it worked so well I just think it's beautiful I think it's one of my favourite albums of the year I absolutely love it and it's one of those things because I've hammered it I know it's going to remind me of this time Mm. And that's quite special that it reminds me of before. But there's also something of this is really embedded in where we are now, which is quite exciting when you really yeah. do listen to something again and again and again. Thank God our first guest on the Culture Bunk has made a good record. <laughs> we don't have to pretend that it's good. It really is good. Which we never do. We never do. No, we no, no, no. We're detached. And no, I really physics. love it. I really, really love it. So, Sarah, another thing in the late 90s thing is that this is the kind of decadent period of Britpop. All the great bands like Pulp and Blur and yourselves are having kind of identity crises or moving away from the, the kind of original Britpop ideals because there wasn't an original Britpop sound. But the others are kind of falling into cliche and becoming, you know, it's like four boring lads with four boring haircuts and four boring guitars. The, the music you draw on is it, from that time is very different from that sort of dog end Britpop stuff. Do you think we're going to reappraise that period and forget about uh, here's the big string-driven ballad and maybe look at the stranger music at that time. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I like the fact that you call it the dog end of Britpop. Sorry, I have to go back to that. It's quite funny. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we didn't align ourselves to a lot of those kind of mm. guitar and, like you said, mm. big string, like blah, blah, blah. That wasn't really what we were about. We were much more about other things that were happening around that time, like, I don't know, like drum and bass and things like that, yeah. which was far more exciting. Handbag house and charity shop clothes and yeah. the field mice and mad stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it, it is now 30 years since Fox Space Alpha, which you just, we were just talking about, which for me, uh, that record for me is always connected with walking down Regent's Canal in the hot summer of 1991. I'd just moved to London. It was as if somebody had gone, you just moved to London. Here is your You've Just Moved to London album to get you orientated. And I found it like it was like the A to Z. Mm. And it even features that great track, Girl 7. March the 4th, 1989, Primrose Hill, Staten Island, Chalk Farm, Massive Central. So on the 30th anniversary of that, June 4th, 2019, I did a little daft 30th birthday tweet. And I was amazed how many people went, oh, my God, yes, it's the 30th birthday of what happened on that day. Do we yet know? Can you tell me what happened on June the 4th, 1989, that you oh, is part God. of your show? Oh, God, it is something important, isn't it? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it is something really important, isn't it? It's something political. I can't remember. It is something. You'd have to, again, you'd have to ask Bob, but uh, it's funny, learning those lyrics, well, I never learnt that on Girl 7. Yeah. Every time I've ever played it live, I have to have a sheet of paper in front of me. It's the most complicated thing. Yeah. Cannonberry, all that kind of stuff. And you even remade the album as Fox Space Beta a few years mm. ago, in the notion that you could always remake the old things and make them new. But this, this record is, you know, that Tiger Bay... People take St. Etienne's music very much to heart in a way that lots of other bands perhaps don't really have that. Why do you think people do that? What do you think it is about St. Etienne that makes people find it like central to their world of pop? Um, it's very kind that they do. But I think there's an element of like, I think we, because we're quite big fans of music ourselves and always have mm. been. And I think that we try and share the things that we like try and share those ideas, share those bands, share those songs with, with everyone else. Um, and also I think we give a lot of stuff to our fans, like we do little parties at Christmas and we give out little flexi discs and little, you know, um, CDs to, for nothing because we understand what it's like to like a band and therefore we try and give people something as a thank you. Sounds really silly, but anyway, it's not silly, but you know, gushy. But that is literally what we do, and it, and it means a lot to us. The people that under, uh, understand us and get us and buy our records, they, they mean a lot to us. So the new album is out today, and what's happening next? You have actually got an actual tour, haven't you? 
Yeah, apparently, yeah. <laughs> is there, is there um, going to have, have you got you know because it's been such a long time since anybody's been able to do these things? I mean, I've been to like one gig. Have you got kind of uh, standing on the diving board trepidation yet? I think I'm only really now starting to think. Okay, this is a thing that might happen in November, and you mm. know, um, because when it was all booked a few months ago, you just think, I don't know, will it happen? But I think it's going to happen, and I think we're really excited about it. I think we'll only do maybe two or three songs from this album because obviously it's not kind of you know song based particularly, mm. and and I think we'll use the film, which is beautiful. But yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's like we're just starting to pull everyone together, you know, everyone in our sort of live team, all our musicians that we use, you play play with, and mm. stuff like that. So yes, yeah, it's, it's starting to become a reality, and I'm quite excited. Very well, excited. I'm going to the Ali Pali show. It should be tremendous fun. I'm going to all of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you, second career as a roadie, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the electrics. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have a tune from one of our guests, their editor's recommendation, as it were. John Mullen, what, what have you brought in for us from the sea of new releases? Oh, well, you say you've been to one gig. I've been to zero gigs, but I'm going to my first one in two weeks' time. I'm going to do the specials at yeah. the Roundhouse. Mm. So they've just released a... We're about to release a, a covers album, and so... Uh, but the first track was uh, they've done Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen mm. and can I just read the lyrics very quickly go on then very very quickly well, don't do the voice no <laughs> everybody knows the dice are loaded everybody rolls with their fingers crossed everybody knows the war is over everybody knows the good guy's lost it feels mm. very appropriate <laughs> so yeah. they've done it in quite an upbeat way yeah. so I'm, I think they've obviously done it for the for something to release for the live shows but um, I'm really looking forward to seeing them all together And you can hear that on our Spotify playlist. Look in the show notes right now. The link is there. Murder, you say? Manhattan? A plush residential block? So far, so well-trodden. And yet, what could be thrown into the mix of a new TV show? A podcast? (laughs) Only Murders in the Building is a new series starring Steve Martin, Selena Gomez and Martin Short. Episodes are available now on Disney Plus Star version, whatever that is. We sent our intrepid panel out with a magnifying glass and a field recorder and we'll listen to their thoughts on the show after the trailer. How well do you know your neighbours? You see many of them every day. But have you ever wondered... What goes on behind their doors? Are you associated with the deceased? No, no. We're neighbors in the building. Mm -hmm. So you don't know him? Just in passing. Not his passing. No, yes. When we passed by him. Before he passed. That's right. We find the right connection. And all this cracks open. I can't tell if I want it to be nothing or for it to be something. We began with the question, how well do you know your neighbors? Turns out the ones you thought you knew best might be the ones you know the least. Every true crime story is actually true for someone. And this is just occurring to you. I think we should just hit him with the charm. Good. Excellent. So I'll take the lead on this. Excuse me? Well, I can turn on the charm. Is it on now? It's swarming up. Sarah Cracknell, I'm going to start with you. Only Murders in the Building is based around true crime podcast fans who both investigate a suicide and start a podcast about it. Not complicated at all. What were you expecting? I didn't know what to expect, Mm. to be honest, because I actually didn't read anything about it. (laughs) I just press play and yeah. start watching and um the first episode is really brilliant and it's so beautifully shot and everything as well and beautifully lit a lot of you know high high kind of production values and i i know about kind of crime podcasts my friend told me to listen to some i think i listened to serial for a while and stuff like that but it's brilliant i think i watched the first three episodes i don't know if there's a fourth yet on disney plus but i watched the first three and I can tell, oh, I think I'm right, in that it's going to get further, go further. There's a lot of things that are going to be uh, revealed about each of the three characters. Like, obviously, we know Selena Gomez. No, actually, I probably shouldn't say too much, should I? <laughs> For someone who no. hasn't seen it. Anyway. <laughs> There's a bit of a story going on with her, shall we say. Yes, exactly. Mm. There's a bit mm. of a story going on with her and the person who was murdered in the building. And I'm yet to see whether there's a little bit of a story going on with the Steve Martin and Martin Short characters. Mm. 
I think maybe there might be. I don't know because I haven't seen them, but I really liked it. I loved it. So Steve Martin and Martin Short are actually in real life long-established pals and they know how to play off each other. Does that come through in this, the comic element, as much as the entertainment? I didn't know that. That's Mm. interesting because it definitely you can tell that they they have a warmth with each other Mm. and they are funny together, definitely. John Mullen, what were your thoughts? Were you drawn in? I was not... I don't think I wasn't drawn in as much as Sarah. I definitely enjoyed it in a kind of... It reminded me a little bit of a kind of tone that you would get in maybe like Love Joy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's sort of like there's there's a crime going on, but you don't have to treat it too seriously. (laughs) It's about the sort of a comedy between them. But the bit I was completely drawn in by was the Martin Short character, who I... So describe him. He plays Oliver, He plays Oliver. He plays a very, I suppose camp is what you'd call him, uh, kind of Broadway... uh, He's obsessed with his, you know, his status in New York as a kind of artist. But in fact, he's... (laughs) You know, it's in their first episode, isn't it? He's actually broke and he's got this family. And and I found all that stuff really intriguing. But I kind of, afterwards, I was thinking about the sort of the tone where where it would sort of go, it would sort of do these bits, wouldn't it? Where it would go into the sort of more serious bits about Steve Martin and his father. And Mm. and for me, it felt... I think I was looking for more kind of love, joy, kind of lightness, I think. But mm. maybe that's just me. <laughs> that Whereas I felt the darker bits, it was like, yeah, I, almost, I could almost watch a whole series about Martin Short's travails. And then the, <laughs> sort of the podcast sort of got in the way. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, how does the podcast come into play? Because they are, as we said, investigating a murder. But then they decide because they are true crime fans and they're listening to a version of Serial in this, a, a dramatised version. How do they then decide to do a podcast? Well, You're it's because, it's, might... yeah, because Oliver, well, Oliver's got this, this sort of set. Oliver's is this sort of, he's, this is his sort of chance to realise his sort of theatrical mm. dreams, isn't it? So he thinks, oh, I'm going to be a director. And the PBS is, you know, the, doesn't he say that to them? That, that voiceover is a bit PBS yes. As, yes. as they're recording it. And so all that stuff's really great. I, I like it. But it, it felt to me there was... Lots, there was a lot going on, and then there was the Hardy Boys elements as mm. well, which basically bring this in that this that this the Selena Gomez is part of this Hardy Boys character. So for me, I, I think you could sort of say it's all there's lots of great strands, but mm. I was sort of felt there was like about four things going on at the same time for me, mm. a little bit, just a little bit. But I, the individual elements, and I do think Steve Martin is genuinely like a genius. I think I could watch him do anything, mm. but in a mm. way, I feel he's sort of almost dialing it down a little bit because he's doing something new, a bit like you know Jim Carrey and the Tree. I mean, I feel yeah. like. You know, for me, so, so it wasn't quite le- completely successful. So I'm not even sure I will go back, but yeah, I'll be intrigued yeah. to see. I wasn't because I wasn't yeah. so intrigued, but Sarah's <laughs> gasping. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I get the love joy because I was going to ask Andrew to me. This was Midsummer Murders made by Wes Anderson. I actually think it's Manhattan Murder Mystery, the mega series, mm-hmm. because weirdly. Coincidentally, I actually watched Manhattan Murder Mystery for the first time properly right. only on Saturday night, yes. uh, which is ridiculous considering it's been out for, God, what is it, 30 years or yeah. something. And this is very, very similar, both in tone and obviously in location. It's the dream and nightmare of living in a posh place on the Upper West Side. It is world of Woody Allen. It is a world yeah, of much. formerly uh, important actors and directors falling on hard times mm. and people mm. living in inexplicably large apartments. How are they affording these apartments? But they do go to explain that because I do. found that a problem initially going which is what i like oh, about it because it actually then digs into yeah. that it's basically a new yorker magazine cover come to life and mm-hmm. in fact the titles even look like a new yorker magazine cover it is the, the upper west side is the center of the universe nothing else matters anybody who matters is here but everybody here is neurotic about whether they still matter or not so we see oliver the impresario in I think the second or third episode, meeting his former business partner Nathan Lane, who's playing mm. Nathan Lane mm-hmm. in the in the role of Nathan Lane, and we get some prime quality misery of theatre, bravest people in the world, darling, <laughs> total yes. kind of you know camp comedy there. But actually, it, it has the time as well as the the insight to peel that back a little bit and kind of show the actual genuine sort of um, sadness of the Oliver character, and also the massive self regard of uh, of him and Steve Martin. I think it's a really good three hander. I think mm. that each of the characters. Uh, play off each other very well. Steve Martin is definitely a toned-down Steve Martin. Selena Gomez is basically playing famous detective Lana Del Rey because she has the same <laughs> blank lack of effect, uh, you know, gliding gorgeously through misery. That's how Wes Anderson is. 
There you go. Yeah, the other tenants in the, mm. uh, in, the in the in the fancy pants apartment block are similarly strange, interesting, and they're revealing themselves as it goes on as yeah. well, which I quite like. There's some cat gags, there's some, cat there's gags. some text gags. There's also there's a hummus gag. There's some hummus gags, but also there's dream sequences, which isn't very Lovejoy. Yeah. There's some yeah, really yeah, good yeah. dream sequences. Although I'd love to see Lovejoy's dream sequences, <laughs> they tended not to feature too much in the existing series. Mm. So, so I, I liked it a lot. Uh, I, it has it has the same light judasprey aspect. Of of Woody Allen when he was good. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's it's yes, it's remaking Rainy Day in New York, which is abysmal, which Selena Gomez is in right. into something else. It is very gentle, though. Yeah. I do you think she took it to Steve Martin and said we could do this properly? You know? Yeah, look, that one was this awful. Is bloody rubbish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you can fix this one. <laughs> yeah, get on yeah, the Martin yeah, shorts. So. Yes. but yes, it was the gentleness that sometimes I felt. Well, where's the edge? But I really think it's not for that audience. Mm. It's Kaminsky method, but for Disney yeah. and for. The whole family can sit down and some... There's not, lot, not a lot of edge, but there's a bit of a stink. Yeah. I think there's a little bit Killing Eve going on, though, because right. um, mm. with the Selena Gomez character, mm. we might see some more kind of slightly brutal edge to oh. the way yeah. she can behave. And Careful stuff. with spoilers, yeah. Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yes. but you're right. And she looks great. They've done the thing of making her, you know, every shot, she's going to yeah. look like a Gucci advert or something. Mm. She's, you know, she's styled particularly well, so she's a bit of a heroine in, in mm-hmm. that. But yeah, you're right. There's, yeah... There are some dark secrets. Standards are extremely high for these kind of miniseries now. I mean, you've mm. basically got to go toe-to-toe with White Lotus. If you, if you, if you can't yeah. go toe-to-toe with White Lotus, you shouldn't be in the game at all. And I think it, I think it earns its, uh, mm-hmm. its selection there. Mm-hmm. We hoovered it up. We absolutely Yeah, ra- yeah, yeah. I, I, binged, I binged that one. I am waiting for the next one. That we don't know when well, it's going to I've got to say, though, some, some well-observed podcast gags in there, like the fact that they're making the podcast in a broom cupboard and Steve Martin's like, it's so hot in here, I can't think. Anybody that's ever made a podcast, we're doing it right now. It's hot as hell in here, isn't it, Sean? <laughs> and it's cramped. It's and cramped it's and hot. Horrible. Yeah, We yeah. suffer for the listeners. <laughs> we certainly do. And it, it obviously makes a change from Nine Perfect Strangers, which I was hoovering but hating. This is the my new version of that. Didn't fancy that one. <laughs> Time for another song selection from one of our guests. Sarah Cracknell, what have you brought in for us today? Yeah, uh, Wet Leg, amazing. I love them. Um, It's so nice to have girls doing kind of slightly agit pop. One of the things I don't know is where did they get the name? Why did they come up with the name Wet Leg? That's a great name. It's so good. (laughs) Oh, go on, tell me, Sean. I don't know. I just, so good. I just... I just think it's a really good name. I can't say any more. It's far too rude. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it rude? Oh, of course. It must be. Anyway. Well, like, carry I, on about the music. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they spilled the coffee on the train. I don't know. Yeah. No, and I absolutely, I love the video. I love the fact they come from the Isle of Wight. It's one of those, it's a bit like that thing of, I don't know where I came from, or that thing that Alice is doing with us. that sort of keep going on about our, our record and our film. But um, is that, you know, if you if you're born and brought up somewhere where there's not, a, I know it's quite an artistic island, the Isle of Wight. I know there's a lot of artists and things like that, but musically, maybe it's not as vibey as you know if you grew up in London or something or Manchester. Um, and I love that out of that, out of a little bit of boredom, comes great creativity. And I, I just, I love it. I I heard it on. I think first of all, I heard it on Six Music. And then suddenly, I think it's on Radio 1 now, isn't it? It's like everyone loves Wet Leg now. <laughs> I feel like I'm a bit late to the party, but it's brilliant. And you can hear that on our Spotify playlist, so go straight to the show notes and listen to it right now. Now, we have two new records for you. For starters, Amal and the Sniffers are Australian punk rockers. You may remember singer Amy Taylor did a track with Sleaford Mods on their last album. Also with the Agra Boys as well, she mm. gets about. They released their second album, Comfort to Me, today. We gave it a listen. Plus, art school girlfriend, a.k.a. Welsh multi-instrumentalist Polly Mackey. She releases her debut, Is It Light Where You Are? Shoegaze Electro, which is perhaps as far away from punk as you can be. A little bit of admin. Music licensing for podcasts is tightening up the man. Which means, unfortunately, we can't play you as many clips of music as we used to, but we will put everything in a Spotify playlist, which you can find in the show notes on your app. So here's Amel and the Sniffers with security.
So let's start with Comfort to Me and Amal and the Sniffers. Sarah, are you a fan? Um, <laughs> it's one of those things I listen to. I managed <laughs> two songs at first, and that oh. almost the phrase that kept coming into my mind was that I couldn't eat a whole one. You know, I, I liked it. It's just, it, I suppose it's just not necessarily my my thing. But I, I like her, and I like the idea of it. And I, you know, it's it's just, I don't know. Sorry, it's just not absolutely my thing. That's absolutely fine. There are 13 songs on this. They're not immensely oh. long, but because there are 13s, maybe that's also why you may feel that you're just getting something. I think I managed about six, and then I just didn't finish it. So I didn't finish my homework. The dog ah. it, and... Um, <laughs> Not to worry. John, you say you've been listening to this on repeat. I have. Um, I definitely take Sarah's point on, though. It's definitely an album, you know, best in short blasts. Mm -hmm. I mean, they go in with that, you know, the opening track, uh, Guided by Angels and Energy. and, And it goes in at such a tempo, you think... Do I need, you know, you almost don't need any more, do you? You know, you're just shouting energy and anger and all these buzzwords. Um, but there is something, if you go back to it repeatedly, there are a lot of melodies that do sort of get stuck in your head. And mm, it has got mm. this sort of, I find it a lot with, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's obviously drawing on kind of American hardcore and black flag, but it's very clean. And the vocals, her vocals are pushed up really high. So she's really engaging. And so the, the melodies do get stuck in there. But I, I find it, I definitely agree that it's an album you should play like three songs off mm. and then, and then sort of, and then sort of get your energy blast and then go back to it later on I mean I, I mean, I, I was looking my, one of my favourite bands are Minor Threat you know the first US hardcore band yeah. mm-hmm. do you know how much in total recorded music they released uh, not quite a lot Four, is it? 47 minutes that's, really that's on it. how many albums like about, there's about four EPs <laughs> oh, every song's like a minute and it's Great. like that feels to me like perfect in a way you don't need mm. do you need 13 mm. songs of this not really you know that's what every song should be like a mid you know two minutes long so you know it's, so, yeah we're all busy people I thought that album is like approaching for like the whole what minor threat did in their whole career like yeah. on one record so <laughs> that's brilliant yeah. yeah Amy says all four of us which is the band obviously spent most of 2020 enclosed by pandemic authority in a three bedroom rental can you feel that, Andrew Harris? Well, pandemic authority in Australia is even more severe than it has mm. been here. I mean, they've mm. locked the entire country off. Yeah. And, locked... and this is where they wrote the album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think you can. But I think it, it just uh, accentuates and revivifies, perhaps, the raging teenage angst that, mm. I don't know if she's clearly not a teenager anymore, but she's clearly fully inhabiting it, mm. that this record is about. This is not my kind of thing. That said, I did really enjoy it. Mm. I think they're a really good thing. They are uh, noisy, but uh, also quite clever beneath the noise. John's right, it's really beautifully produced. It almost feels pop. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I it's, thought so. It manages yes. to be noisy as hell, but very, yeah. very easy on the ear. Yeah. She's a brilliant central person singing in a completely unabashed Australian brogue, uh, as loud as you like. And mm. what I found interesting about it was, for all the, hey, you, fuck the man, fuck authority, mm-hmm. it's packed with healthy messages about life and society, including the dangers of walking home alone as a woman. Yes, which in she, Which she looks yeah. at through, I'm going to stab you yeah. if you get anywhere near me. Yeah. Fair point. Um, and uh, a hilarious tune called Maggot. Yes, it's about, a love song, isn't it? A love it? song called Maggot, but male entitled was, hey yeah. maggot, stick your maggot in me. Yeah. I was like, okay, fine, I get where you're going with that one. Um, yeah. and, uh, song title of the year, don't need a c- open brackets like you to love me close brackets song title of the year so yeah, far yeah it's the I Karen think. Carpenter of punk certainly it? is and the closing track snakes which is it seems I'm guessing the snakes are metaphorical but the idea of being assaulted by you know it's probably closer to home in Australia isn't mm. it Yes, yes. I, yeah, you're more likely to spot one than here. The track we played, Security, which I'm going to have to paraphrase. Hey, Security, let me in your pub. I'm just looking for love. I can almost hear Natalie and Brilia singing that. Yeah, there's a real sweetness to it. There is. There yeah, is. That, see, this is, I think, why she's such an engaging person, because she's, mm. she's not just a kind of nihilistic bollocks to everything she's kind of Sid Vicious no. knockoff. Yeah. She's this stuff is going on here and she's got if only Select was still going we'd have her on the front wouldn't we? Well, She'd be Yeah, yeah, and posters. Yeah, and uh, yeah, right. get her on the phone. Alongside Sarah. 
Yeah, of w- women in rock special. <laughs> hey, you. <laughs> women are always in rock. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I think it's incredibly sweet, and she's wonderful. She also name checks Jamie Walgar from Rough Trade Records really? with texting Jamie, "Where's the party?" Because he does actually know where all the parties are. There's things like that that make it so real. It's like the Runaways cross with punk. Yeah. I think she's brilliant, and I, having seen them live once, it is that thing that you just never forget. It. That's where you need to hear the yeah. music. So I understand. I actually found this. I did it in chunks in the end because I found yeah. it too much because I'm too old but mm. um, I saw them at the windmill and she is just it's just pitch perfect she's, she's just full of beans and yeah. so funny I mean the, the, some of the old titles of the job there's a song called Blowjobs there's a song called Gacked on Anger and <laughs> Stole My Push Bike is about someone licking her bicycle um, and it, that it's just she's just absolutely fantastic I do really love her there you go it's bad good example girl band yeah absolutely we agree that she is amazing is it healthy that a bunch of people in their 50s some of us quite like this record when it, we should be going this is disgusting why and would disgraceful. it matter we should stop be being this- modern you can like what you like oh, okay, <laughs> right we're going to move on to the gentler musical slopes of art school girlfriend out this weekend is it like where you are comprises 10 songs which detail the end of a relationship and a move to a new city yes it's a breakup album Andrew Harrison were you aware of Art School Girlfriend before this album uh, arrived? No, I was, just, I was just intrigued by the concept. Mm. Uh, she's called Art School Girlfriend because she's got an art school girlfriend. I think she had one. She had it, one. She, she might have a new one oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> this is LGBTQI shoegaze. Mm. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it works tremendously well. There's loads of swathes of washing electronica, washing mm. around all over the place, mm. extreme subtlety in the arrangements, but also that kind of the kind of mega grandeur of the uh, My Bloody Valentine end of the Chemical Brothers, maybe, with a voice that is very lovely to listen to and quite Tracy Thorny and uh, extremely evocative, I think. How much of Wrexham is in this, I have no idea. But it, I just thought it sounded very, very original and beautiful and actually, in a weird way, slightly connects to the Etienne's new album because there's quite a late 90s remix mm. by Seafield. Yeah, yeah. You know, here's the Aphex Twins 26 mixes for cash going on here, yeah. I think. Yeah, Slow Diver in the Bar, aren't they? Slow Is Diver the in the playing? Bar, yeah. yeah, too, right? Sarah, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, there's not a lot more to say apart from what, and, you know, from what Andrew said. I really like her voice. It's got that kind of the same sort of tone as um, the, uh, London Grammar. They call London Grammar? Yeah. She's got that kind of tone, which I really, really like. And um, and doing her own thing, and I I am imagining she does pretty much everything. I'm guessing. I haven't read any interviews with her on that, but yeah, from what I've read, she does do. It's it's all her. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is brilliant, and I will champion that all the way. You know, I make me do most of my stuff, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> These are big times for lady-led electronica, aren't they, Sean? Yeah. They are. Yeah, and you've done that, it. You've done no, it I'm, women I'm and champion, I'm championing women. I'm championing women, Sean. Stop being horrible to me. No, so like Kelly Lee Owens is really good. It's yeah. just really good. Yeah. But it can't just be bald blokes forever. No, no, and it won't be. Um, I Before listening to this, I really did think this is not going to be my cup of tea. It's going to be the lower end of cat power. Someone's going to be mumbling. They're going to be sitting with their back to the audience if you ever see them live, and it's going to be so embarrassed and ashamed of itself. And I love this. Mm. I just, you know, a couple of songs in, you go, well, I'm not sure. And then you get these are kind of these monster emo choruses coming out of yeah. something that actually is really beautifully toned, really textured, and something is 10 songs, then they could all sound the same. You know, because they're, they're made with the same in the same studio with the the same equipment, and yet there is so much movement within them, and there are pop songs underneath, a bit like Amel and the Sniffers, I think. That I, I just hoover this up as well. It's just yeah. beautiful. And you're saying there is a synthetic, and there is a thing about this is evoking something rather than being literal. It's a breakup album, but you don't have to be sad to listen to it. I thought <laughs> I'm not breaking up with anyone at all, and yeah. I think this is absolutely glorious. I was really, really pleasantly and wonderfully surprised. Yeah. I think the thing to do is to put Amal and the Sniffers and this into a single playlist and just put it on shuffle so you'll be yes. you'll be taken <laughs> out so they take it out of yourself and then brought back into yourself. It will be like Pomodoro techniques. They do 20 minutes of Art School Girlfriend to concentrate and then you get three minutes of Amal yeah. to get you out of it and then back in again. Or what's that peptathlon where you've got to lift weights and then you've got to go and play chess or something? You, yeah, it's that sort of You run, run 100 metres and, yeah. and then reassemble yeah. a wristwatch or something. One of my favourite facts is that the video are made by her long-term collaborator and he's called Tom Dream. Ooh, great. Of course he's called Tom Dream. Real you know, name. It's just like, yeah, isn't that wonderful? So we're giving this a hearty thumbs up, aren't we? I thought it was fantastic.
Finally, we're going to be asking our top pop celebrity guests to choose their favourite record of all time and tell us why. Sarah Crackle of Saint Etienne, what is your favourite record of all time, and why is it? When you asked me this question, I thought, "Oh God, I say the same one a lot." But then I thought, "Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say <laughs> yes. what my favourite record is." So, um, my favourite record is "Rock On" by David Essex. I just loved it. I think the whole, I'm forgetting now the name of the producer, which is really stupid of me. He did War of the Worlds. What's his name? Anyway. Jeff Wayne. Thank you. And it was just the most extraordinary sounding production I've ever heard, or probably to this date, you know. And it's so engaging and, and it's so clean sounding, but so unusual and sort of, it's just amazing. And um, I had a crush on David Essex, obviously. <laughs> we all did. Obviously. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I remember actually asking for um, the David Essex album for Christmas from my dad's friend, and he bought me the David Cassidy album. But, yeah, it's just extraordinary sounding, and I think stands up to date as being fantastic production-wise and both everything. Best record ever. It's basically a dub record yeah. featuring a look-in heartthrob. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's as if Lee Scratch Perry were to get hold of, I don't know, Leaf Garrett or something and yes. go mad. And it, you're right, it does still sound, it sounds it's, in, it sounds inexplicable. Oh, you yes. don't know, yeah. not only do you not know how they did it, you don't know how they imagined it. And we'll drop that into the playlist for everybody. Okay, and with that, we're at the end of the podcast and it's closing time chatter. What will we be discussing over a can of special with Amel in the car park? <laughs> John, what's your closing time chatter? Mine's a happy one. It's, well, well, half a happy one. I watched the Bob Ross documentary, the guy who does Joy of Painting, Happy Mm. Accidents. And I think, we we were talking a bit earlier about, you know, uh, arts documentary making and, you know, uh, while there's not more of it. He's watching him. I didn't really understand, you know, the sheer genius of Bob Ross. I mean, he sort Mm. of talks in a way that he talks directly to you as a viewer that, you know, that is, you know, the the hallmark of a great, you know, arts TV presenter. And that's something that we'd need a lot more of. What I thought was really interesting about it was that it it took art away from the kind of stuff that I generally make. I do programs about Van Gogh and Picasso. And there's like a whole like folk art tradition of quite bad... kind of kitschy paintings that you can do at home that and I didn't realise that Bob Ross was by far not the first guy to do this Mm. there's a whole like lineage Mm. of these guys and there were these art professors and I found all that stuff fascinating I mean what happened then was that they had to like put the dirt in about the business deals and the and all this is very murky and complicated Mm. and not very interesting so I think everyone should watch like the first hour of this doc and Mm. just realise the sort of genius of Bob Ross and in fact in Peep Show they call him God which I love (laughs) you know do you remember this I don't know oh what they call Jez and Mark, Mark yeah. they would watch the first series, first two series. They would watch it and say, "Oh, God's on! We can't talk now." Oh wow! So there's a whole kind of they, 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 that was a kind of in joke that the guys from Peep Show love Bob Ross. <laughs> so there's a kind of secret history of Bob Ross that yeah. uh, needs yeah. celebrated. I um I agree that it, that the kind of angle of Ooh, the terrible crime that's portrayed isn't really very good. It's very interesting, but Bob Ross himself is fascinating, mm-hmm. and some of the th- he's very ASMR as well. Just the very close to the mic, very comforting voice. Everything's going to be fine. A couple of lines from the clip still adds me. One was he's showing people how to make these paintings, which, as, as you say, they're, they're, it's amazing that people can be taught to do this. They're not very, they're not good art in the sense that they're making a statement, but it's incredibly I'm sorry, technical. they are good, though, and well, he is God. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but the line that stood out was Bob Ross saying, I just used to do a little bit of delineation on something, you never realised you had so much power, did you? Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus, <laughs> no, maybe it is God. <laughs> There's one amazing bit where he's doing a slightly darker painting, and he's mm. talking about the death of his wife. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's one of the best arts people. I mean, because mm. I used to do a little course for radio people on arts presenters, and I'd teach a bit of Kenneth Clark or what. I would use that. That's astonishing. Yeah. Mm. It's astonishing, isn't mm. it? He's yeah. basically bringing the death of his wife in but to it, art, and, but it's, and it's all, it's not uncomfortable. Mm. He's just yeah. there. But with it's you. a human connection that maybe you don't get by somebody standing there going, in 1801, the. It's what Jeremy Dell does. Jeremy Dell is like folk art. It's like Mm. interesting folk art. So I think they'll watch the first hour and then it's like uh, Goddard said about uh, Lost Highway, watch the first hour and then just walk out to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, what's your closing time chatter? Mine is an astonishing news story that popped up this week. Rapper Bugsy Malone punched two strangers and broke their jaws after he wrongly believed they intruded and attacked his home, a court has heard. The incident happened on the 9th of September 2018 near the World Black Pudding Throwing Championships in Ramsbottom near Bury. And I kind of... What? I, this, I, I immediately thought of Ecky Thump and the goodies, yeah. you know, with their black pudding weapons. And it's Bugsy Malone, you know, the kind of immediately my mind also goes back to the early 70s and pie fights. Yeah. So the idea that 
you know, the, the world in which we live, this ever-changing <laughs> world in which we're living, can contain a rapper. Okay, no verdict uh, delivered yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's starting to stay in court. Clearly having uh, a, a bit of a time at next to the World Black Pudding Throwing Championships, which I'm glad still exists. <laughs> It's a bit of a waste of black pudding, but I'm glad it still exists. <laughs> this is this is the Britain I always wanted to live yeah, in. Yeah, well, you do. It's like mm. it's 1997 again. Sarah, what's your closing time chatter? Uh, well, I've got very little to say, really. But moving on from the goodies, or more of the goodies, ah. during the pandemic, lockdown, I've you know, been using Instagram a lot more than I've been, And I clicked on some cat videos about <laughs> a month ago. And every day I'm inundated with cat videos which at <laughs> some point is slightly annoying but I can't stop watching them I just love them. <laughs> anyway that's it really I just so the, the, the cat going up the post office tower What's Kitten that? Kong Kitten Kong going up the post office yeah, tower exactly. is your <laughs> Yeah. The last person to say cat videos in closing time chatter and the only other time was Terry Hall. Oh, from the special. So you and Terry, your cat Me videos. Terry, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can feel a concept album coming on. Yeah. How, about, how about you, Sean? What's yours? <laughs> Mine is, I, I want to throw the question out, especially to Sarah, actually, is that this week I found out, you know that I do art and I put art on mugs and things mm. like that. Someone sent me a picture of a tattoo that they'd had done based on one of my illustrations. Oh. I was like, oh, my God. And I'd not seen that before. It's a Robert Wyatt picture. But they've, they've gone in with the mug or whatever it was to the tattoo. It's on their arm. Mm. This was, I want to ask Sarah, are there people with St. Etienne tattoos in the world? And is there a picture <laughs> of you on someone's arm or back or knee or something? Yeah, no, there, there's a lovely man called Holger. He'll love being mentioned on this, but Holger Meyer, and he's got the whole of like Fox Base Alpha tattooed on his back. And he's got, he's got numerous wow. tattoos and it's quite a responsibility. Don't you mm. think? John? How does it make you feel? Yeah. It <laughs> kind of makes me feel, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but you um, can't take it off. If you're like saying. <laughs> so when you signed off on the artwork for the album, Words and Music by St. Etienne, which has got a huge map on the cover full of streets <laughs> named after various pop songs, did you not at any point think, poor old Holger, this is going to take ages. <laughs> has he got any space left for this gigantic map? <laughs> that would be a bit intricate for a tattooist, wouldn't it? I mean, God, it they would. have mm. some special skills to manage that. Sean, I want to know, uh, if somebody's put their art on your arm, do you have copyright in their arm? It, I think it's going to be a legal tangle between my lawyers and theirs. Or yes. I may just let it go. It's going to be Bob Ross all over again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much to the amazing Sarah Cracknell and the marvellous John Mullen for being part of the all-new Culture Bunker. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Delighted to have you here. It's been an absolute joy. I've been trying to tell you is in all good record shops now, and I believe the Blu-ray of the Alistair McLennan on the DVD is available too. You can see the film. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful, because it is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's a gazant kunstwerk. It's a beautiful, beautiful film, and it's got some really beautiful people in it. <laughs> this is not a difficult watch. Thanks for listening from me, Andrew, and producer Alex Reese to our first ever Culture Bunker. We will see you next week. The Culture Bunker was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison with Sean Pattenden. The assistant producer was Yelna Sofranevich. An audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Popmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>